All right, so um, Jake, if you could put the title of the sermon up there. And um, there were these two boys once, and they saw this movie that they wanted to see, and they both decided that they were going to meet at a certain time on a certain day to go see this movie. So the day came, and one of the boys went to the cinema, and he stood outside waiting and waiting and waiting. And he waited a long time, and it's like, what's going on here? This, you know, he, he's not coming. He hasn't shown up yet. Finally, after an extended period of time, the other boy shows up. And he says, what took you so long? I've been waiting, waiting so long for you. Why, what happened here? He goes, well, you know, he goes, I felt kind of convicted because I knew this is Sunday and I really started having an issue with, should I really go see the movie or should I really go to church? So he said, I decided to, to uh, bring the test before the Lord and have the Lord ask me to show me what he wanted me to do. He goes, and I'm here. He goes, well, the other friend said, well, okay, that doesn't really explain, though, why you're so late. He said, well, because I asked the Lord to show me. I took a coin, and I said, I'm going to flip the coin, Lord, and if it comes up heads, that means you want me to go to church. If it comes up tails, that means you're okay with me going to the movies. He goes, that still doesn't explain why you're so late. The other boy said, well, it took me 35 flips of the coin to finally get to the place where I was okay with coming to the movies. Well, yeah, I know it's kind of lame, but it really illustrates kind of what we're going to be looking at here today in the scriptures. That Now, hear me when I say this. We hear, but we don't listen. We hear, but we don't listen. So the title of my sermon today is In Neglecting the Ultimate, We Become Enslaved in the Immediate. And we're going to be looking at the first eight or nine verses in Haggai chapter 1 today. But let me take a moment to explain what I mean by that title. What, is, what does it mean? Well, by the ultimate, I mean that God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and that purpose is the very reason why he has called us to salvation. And that is to be the ultimate purpose for our existence and our acceptance by him and his adoption by him. And it's all summed up by the statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where we read, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. That word seek there is a command to start striving for and to pursue with diligence. And it is to be our first priority. So our first priority and the very reason why God has called us out of darkness has uh, made all of these plans before us, some of which I spoke about over the last two weeks, before the foundation of the world, so that we would make the seeking of his kingdom and the work of his kingdom the number one, the top priority in our lives. That's what I mean by the statement there, the ultimate. But let, let's look now at what I mean by the immediate. That means nearest, next to, occurring at once, or those things or obligations that demand our attention and action that cannot be neglected, that demand to be, they clamor to be the top priority of our lives and for the most part, for the rest of the world, they are. 
They, they, they seek our attention. For example, we have to eat. We have to work. We have to do all of those things. We have to pay attention to our health. Uh, we have to pay our taxes. All of those things. You know, uh, many, many people have car payments and mortgage payments and health insurance payments and all of the busyness of life. Those are the things that clamor, clamor to be the top priority in our lives. And, and that's what is meant by the statement, the immediate. So it all boils down to a choice with far-reaching consequences associated with each choice. Making the wrong choice actually locks you into a downward spiral. That's what we're going to be seeing here today in the book of Haggai in the first few verses. When we make the wrong choice, when we choose the immediate and make that the top priority over what God has called us to do, and that is the ultimate, it locks us into a downward spiral, forever chasing the immediate and never seeming to be able to catch up, ever decreasing time to follow the ultimate purpose of your life. This is what happens when you start chasing the immediate. If you notice, when that becomes a top priority in your life, you never really get there. You're always chasing it. And what happens in the long run is it begins to sap your time because it's making more and more of a demand on your time saps your time from pursuing the ultimate, the very reason for your existence, and it becomes a downward spiral. And at that point, we suffer the loss of blessing and the peace of the Holy Spirit that, that, uh, that we have access to. That's what we're going to be looking at uh, over the next few minutes in the book of Haggai. Well, just to give you some background information on Haggai, the people were brought back after 70 years of being in, ca in captivity. Now, some 50,000 of the exiles came back during the first wave, and they came back with the express purpose and the express command uh, uh, from God to rebuild the temple. They were there to rebuild the temple. Some 50,000 uh, exiles um, had returned. Well. The people were also faced with the needs and demands of the immediate as well, right? They had to come back into a land that was essentially barren, that had been essentially a wasteland for 70 years. It was overrun by wild animals, and we don't often think of, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, you know, in, in the Middle East, but they were there. They were indigenous to that land. and so. And so the land was overrun with all, these, with all these animals. The city was in complete ruins. And, uh, and they were surrounded by enemies uh, all around them. And you can read about that in the books of Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah, and Zechariah. Those were also contemporary, more or less, men who ministered during this time period. So they got distracted. They got distracted and uh, they worked on rebuilding the temple for one year and then stopped. After one year, they stopped working on, on the temple. So God sends Haggai the prophet to them with a message. Now, this message from God, to, uh, from God through Haggai to the people who had been brought back with the express purpose of building the temple uh, took place 17 years after they stopped working on the temple. So 
from the time that they came back and started working on the temple, they worked on it for one year, 17 years pass, where the temple work had been completely neglected and God sends Haggai the prophet to them. Okay, so here's where we pick it up. I'm gonna read the first, uh, first two verses and when we read these verses, we will get a good sense of what the people's attitude had, what, what the attitude was of the people that had caused them to neglect the ultimate and instead embrace the immediate and be overcome with it. So we read in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, by the way, this is about 520 B.C., the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So this is what the attitude of the people had become, that the time has not come, it's not the right time to be building the house of the Lord. It was not so much a spoken word as an inner attitude that had taken hold within the hearts of the people that was floating around in them that they came to think that, that it wasn't time for them after a year and after the hardships they faced during that time that obviously that was a message from God telling them that the time had not come, that it was time for them to stop working on the house of the Lord and to focus on their own needs, their own immediate needs. That the timing was not right. It was not God's will that the house should be built at that time. They were waiting for a sign. They had forgotten in the midst of all of this that God had sent them back to the land with the express purpose of rebuilding the house of God in Jerusalem. You see how that happens, that the immediate ends up taking over, or the the ultimate gets swallowed up by the immediate. They were making a judgment call as to what the will of God was in this building project based upon their needs and the demands of the immediate. After all, it was only reasonable to assume that before they could really undertake the, word of, the work of the, rebuilding the temple, that they had to make sure that their everyday needs and the needs of their families was taken care of. Only reasonable to assume that, right? But there's something in that equation that is drastically amiss. And what's missing in that equation is the provision of God. Well, God speaks out in Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and he says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins. Is it time? Do you think it is my will for you guys to be building and dwelling in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? Now, it becomes clear through the text here, and there are commentators who say different things. There are some commentators who say that this is basically just referring to they're stopping to build the house of God to build their own basic structure, that is a structure with four walls, a door, and a roof. But then there are those who say that they were at what they had actually started doing 
was pilfering materials that God had provided to rebuild the temple to build their own houses. And so this is one of the places where my position has changed over the years, and indeed it seems to me that this is what happened. They had fallen so low that now they were taking materials, the cedar and all of the things that had been provided providentially by God for them to rebuild the house of God to use it as building materials in their own home. Do you think it is my will for you to live in houses with roofs on them and paneled and a giveaway is plaster? Those are, in, in those days, plastering internal walls was a, was a high-ticket item. Generally, only the affluent would be able to do that. But wait a minute. It was only reasonable to assume that before they could really undertake the work of rebuilding the temple, that they had to make sure that their everyday needs and those of their families were provided. Well, the evidence speaks for itself. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That is, and I'll read the New Living Translation, which says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, consider how things are going for you. You've decided to stop doing the very thing for which I sent you, to focus on your own immediate needs. Now look at how things are going for you. You're chasing that, you're chasing that elusive dream, that elusive thing, whatever it is, whatever that shiny object is that you're chasing, that you're neglecting the very thing for which I have set you back in the land to do. How's it going for you? How's it working out for you? Stop and think about what's been happening to you. And here, God through Haggai says the following in verses 4 and on. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. My oh my, how we all know that's true, right? One thing about money is money comes and money goes. It doesn't stay around for long and it's like, it's like you know, it just, it just, we have holes in our pocket. So the, what God is saying, consider your ways. Look, look, at, look, at, look at what's happened to you over the last 17 years since you've stopped working on my house. You're expending the maximum amount of energy with minimal return or gain. There's not even enough to meet even your basic needs. And the money is going out as fast as it's coming in. In spite of the fact that they were attending to their immediate reasonable needs, they were just losing ground with each passing day. Maybe it was all just a coincidence. Maybe just a random turn of events. Maybe just a misalignment of one of the planetary bodies that had shifted the gravitational force just a bit to cause the climate to change just a bit. And so the crops weren't producing 
and they were working day in and day out and not even, maybe it was just a random collision of events. Well, look at what it says in Haggai chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own home. Therefore, because of this, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its rain. I'm sorry, the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But it was only reasonable that before we, we could begin the work of rebuilding the house of the Lord, that we had to provide for our own immediate needs and the needs of our family. But what this reasonable attitude betrays, hear me when I'm saying this, because this is something that we all struggle with. Trust me when I tell you, as much as you struggle with this, and I know every one of you does, because it's part of the human condition, I promise you I struggle with it, even to this day, so much more. But what this betrays is an inner attitude of distrust towards God. And it really lies right at the border of calling him a liar. Listen to what it says in Psalm 37. This is the words of David. I have been young, and now I am old. I have been young, and now I am old. I can really relate to these words. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. See that? Now, David may have penned those words, but he penned them under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Right? I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. The Lord does not forsake his saints. Well, what does it mean when it says saints? You know, if you were like me, raised in the Roman Catholic tradition, and you know, I was going through my books the other day, and I found these three volumes set that somehow ended up in my library from when it was either me or my wife attending St. Joseph's Catholic School in Medford, Mass. Uh, and it was called The Lives of the Saints. You know, when you look in these little books and, you know, there's St. Anthony, St. Anastasia, St. Santa Maria Goretti, you know, and they all had halos around 
their head. But that is not what the word saints means as it's used in the Holy Scriptures. The word saints means someone whom God has chosen to set apart, to adopt as his son and daughter, to redeem by the shed blood of Christ, and to put them to work in the task of building his kingdom and announcing the coming of the Messiah. That's what saints mean. For the Lord loves justice and he does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. So here's a, a promise in scripture that not only the needs of the righteous are provided for, but also the needs of his descendants. So I ask you, what was the problem here? God made this, prob this promise to them. And what is the problem with us? Well, you, you can't say, well, you know, that was applicable to them. You know, they were God's special people brought out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, and then fell to idolatry and all of those things. But God had promised them on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant that he would never forsake them and that they would always be his chosen special people. And that remains true even to this day, point of fact. But it doesn't apply to us because, you know, we are predominantly Gentiles. Gentile is someone who's not Jewish. We are predominantly Gentiles that are not part, we don't have any part in the physical elements of the Abrahamic covenant. So it doesn't apply to us. Well, listen to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And let me ask you this question as I read this verse. How hard is this to do? Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Anyone here not ever worried about their life? Okay. I'll admit maybe there are some. I promise you as you get older, you will experience it. Do not worry about your life, but notice it's, it's calibrated here. It's, we're given specifics of what not to worry about in our lives what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? How hard is that to do? How hard is that to do? To not worry or be anxious or be concerned ever about those things. How hard is that to do? If anyone here in this room has mastered it, please come and see me. I want to know what the secret of your success is. I really do. I really do. I'm getting better at it, but it seems like the Lord has to drag me across hot burning coals and, you know, nails, boards with nails for me to start to, 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 to really understand this and to see its application in my life. I don't know about you. I still struggle with this. Notice the exact correlation between this verse and the verse in Haggai chapter 5, verse 6, which says, 
You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. Yet we have the reassuring proof before us every moment and each and every day. Reading on in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 to 30. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Think about it. I mean, how many times have you driven? I don't know about you, but when, you know, one of the most, not so bad now that I'm living in Springfield, when I lived up in the boondocks, it was worrisome. You need to really be, pay attention to what was going to jump out of the road in front of you while you're driving down the road, right? Now it's more or less squirrels, you know, and the occasional cat. You know, you're driving down the road and, and uh, a squirrel will dart out in front of you. I don't know about you, but I do my very best to not hit them. I'll swerve, I'll slam on the brakes. But every once in a while, I just don't react fast enough. And so there is, what was a squirrel is now a squirrel pancake with strawberry jelly all over it on the road. I know, it's not, you know, something savory. You know, my mind, I don't know about you, but in a twisted way, my mind drops back to the Beverly Hillbillies. You know, if you can remember that far back, right? She would stop with the shovel and pick it up and say, hey, it's good eatings, right? Anyway. I know, it's gross, right? But think about this. That squirrel did not end up dead on the road apart from God's will, from God's providence, from God's sovereign control. I know this is a hard pill to swallow, but it is the testimony of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Some of my students have an issue with this when I talk about these things in within the context of Grace Academy. And I love them, and you know, they're just gonna have to struggle through it, just like I did, just like Doug did. We had to struggle through that, that God is sovereign. And what, what Jesus is saying here, the sparrows neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to their stature. Well, one cubit is approximately 17 inches, right? But it might as well be a quarter of an inch because, you know, worrying doesn't make you healthy, right? Worrying destroys your health. Anxiety destroys your health. That's what Jesus is saying here. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, to this day, even to this day, the wealthiest man who ever walked the face of the earth was King Solomon, even to this day. Right? So he blows away Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk. But Christ says, the lilies of the field were dressed more exquisitely and more 
intricately than even King Solomon. And then it goes on and said, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, so far we've looked at birds, you notice how you know, we're going down in the, in the genus and species category, that's a logic term, genus and species. Now we're down to plants. We've done the animals, now we're in the, into the plant kingdom. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? These are hard words. They're as hard for me as they are for anybody, right? But this is what God says. And when we neglect the ultimate reason why God has called us to focus on the immediate, when God has promised that he would supply all of the immediate, if we focus on the ultimate, then brothers and sisters, what that betrays is an inner attitude of distrust God. This is a hard one. I've not worked my way all the way through this. It's a lifelong work, but it is nevertheless true, and each one of us need to have the courage to look within ourselves and say, yeah, that's true. That's who I am. I struggle with this. And brothers and sisters, that's where deliverance begins. When you have the courage to look within and say, yeah, I'm that guy, or yeah, I'm that gal. Well, does any of this apply to us? The promise is that if we just keep doing what God has designed us to do, that God will take care of the rest. But what exactly is it? <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> as we come down here to the end. What has God designed us as his people to be doing? Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit because I don't get to do it very often, so I'm going to do it today. How many of you are absolutely convinced that you truly are a child of God? Would you raise your hand? If you're not truly convinced that you're a child of God, I have a few words for you in just a few minutes. Right now I'm speaking to those of you who've raised your hands. What do you believe is the reason that God has called you into his family? Is it just so we have bragging rights? Hey, I'm a child of God. Or is there a specific reason? Well. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and following. But you, all those of you who raised your hands, you are a chosen generation. No one wants to dispute that. Hey, I'm chosen, I'm elect from before the foundation of the world, predestined to adoption according to the good pleasure of his will. We all like that part, right? But listen to what it says, a chosen generation a royal priesthood. What's the job of a priest? Can anybody tell me what the job of a priest is? Richard. Okay, Mark. I didn't hear you. 
a mediator between God and man. So, all right, well, wait a minute. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let, so, we don't, so I don't keep you here all day. Let me just spit it out. That you are a priest means that you are God's advanced man or woman, whatever the case may be, between God and the fallen world around you. You are the one who is supposed to go and represent God to the people who do not know God. That's you and me. But there's another flip side of that coin too. We are also called to be the ones who would represent those who do know, not know God to God. That was the job of a priest. That is the job of a priest. So we have a twofold function as this royal priesthood. We represent God to fallen man, and we represent fallen man to God. And we do so through the, through the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the order of Melchizedek. If you want to know what that is, you've got to go look at the Hebrew study online. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Listen to the way the New Living Translation says the exact same verses. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. See, this is where we represent God to fallen man. For he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we are. Those of you who raised your hand, that is your reason for existence. That is the prime, I'm showing you my Star Trekness here. That is the prime directive for you. But what happens is, is we get so worried about the immediate, food, clothing, shelter, the shiny things, all of life's pursuits are for the end result of attainment for the immediate. But that's for those who are outside of Christ, not for us, but we still get distracted by those things. Education, vocation, habitation. It seems reasonable after all, but from only a mindset of distrust and disbelief of God and his promises. That's the only way it's reasonable. We, by God's design and curse, what ends up happening is through that discipline, we become enslaved to their pursuit and cannot ever get to what we want. We end up in that carrot and stick futility and the building of God's work falls by the wayside, just like it did here in these verses in Haggai. 17 years. Well, how do we break free from this cycle? Well, this is where we'll look at the last verse in Haggai chapter 1, verse 8, which says, Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified says the Lord. 
Do what God has called you to do. That needs to be the number one priority of our lives. Everything else must be ordered and subordinated around that prime directive. So some of us may be caught in this trap today. We want to serve, but we've got to attend to the immediate first. But with that game plan, we never seem to be able to get there, can we? And we're just spinning our wheels. Some of us may have made a commitment to do something as service to Christ, but the immediate has distracted us. And we're not living up to that, to our commitments. And as a result, we never can quite catch up with things, can we? Some of us feel called to do something in the name of Christ, i.e., work with the elderly, poor children, social concerns. And we're doing it. But have we noticed that we're not doing it anymore under the banner of Christ and his church? But we've been distracted, we've been deflected to another purpose. Do we think that these things are just coincidence? that we're spinning our heels. Well, what's the solution? Straight up, if we find ourselves, and when we find ourselves in this place, and we all will, we need to repent. That means not to feel sorry about it, but to change it, right? It's a change in direction. And we need to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. And God will take care of the rest. That's the promise. That's the prime directive. That's what we're to do. We need to be careful that we don't, in striving after the immediate or neglecting the ultimate, become enslaved to the immediate. Because there is a day coming and those of us, all of those of you who've raised your hands, you're going to stand, we're going to stand before the throne of Christ. And we're going to have to give an account. And it doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but what you will lose are rewards. It's all about rewards. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose any, right? Okay, now, some of you didn't raise your hands. Now I want to close with this. Everything that I've been talking about, you are excluded from. Sometimes I say hard things. I don't like saying hard things. I'm not by nature a person who likes to say hard things. I am a person by nature who does everything I can to avoid conflict. But the reality is, right now, you are excluded from all of these promises. And you are, what awaits you is something far worse. But you have the opportunity, you have the opportunity today that you can be translated, as it says in one of the Pauline epistles, out of the kingdom of darkness. The reality is, if you have not raised your hand 
firmly convinced in your heart that you are a child of God and you are indeed not, then you are indeed now part of the kingdom of darkness. Not my words, the scripture. Right now you are in the kingdom of darkness and your master is none other than Satan or Lucifer and Lucifer, the beast, whatever. But you know what? God has made a way for you too that you can turn to Christ in faith and repentance. Just, you can do it right where you're sitting. I'm not going to ask you to walk down the aisle or to you know, start jumping and hooting and hollering in the spirit of any of those things. But you can do that right where you're sitting. You can say, you know what, Christ, Lord, I know that my life has been, I've attempted to live my life apart from you, apart from the guiding light of your presence and your word in my life, and it's gotten me nowhere, or it's gotten me to the point of ruin, or it's gotten me to the threshold of stepping off into an eternity without you, destined for a place of outer darkness, as the scriptures say. You can do that. Please, Lord, come and be my savior. I receive you. I want to know about you. I want to know what that salvation that this old guy up there is spewing about looks like and what it feels like to have that inner peace in the midst of the storm. You can do that today, right where you are, and I encourage you to do that. Or you can reach out to someone that you know that is part of the kingdom of light you see, because once you make that choice, once you cry out that way, you are instantly translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you come out from under the slavery of Satan and the devil and the works of darkness, and you become a slave of righteousness. You become a child of God. Speak to someone. Don't let this day pass. Talk to someone that you know, that you trust, that is already part of the kingdom of light. Speak with Pastor Roman. Speak with any of the deacons of the church. Come and speak with me. But don't let this opportunity pass you by because life changes and turns on a dime.